Hello, and thank you for tuning into Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. With me today is Dr. Bill Maurice, the chair of the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic and the president of Mayo Clinic Laboratories. This is our weekly discussion with Dr. Maurice in which we learn about updates in laboratory testing during the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, thank you for being back here with us this week, Dr. Maurice. It's a pleasure to be back. I'm rejuvenated from a little bit of downtime, which we all need, so. Uh, Very nice, socially distanced, I'm sure. Yeah, it was northern Minnesota, so it was very distant. Ah, other, very and, distanced. That's um, the way to do it. Unless you count bald eagles and fish. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't heard about them being infected, so you're probably okay. Yeah, I hope so. Well, here we are back at work, um, and, you know, we still are seeing outbreaks of COVID-19 in many parts of the U.S., and there was that big surge of cases in the southern United States, although it looks like that's flattening a bit. But, of course, that puts a lot of pressure on testing. And we continue to hear about things that can help with testing, increasing numbers of tests available, new manufacturers coming out with tests, and then questions about using polling and antigen tests. And so I thought this would just be a good time to reflect on where are we right now with testing and, um, and where are we going? So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, Bill. Yeah, uh, yeah you know, it's, it's actually kind of an interesting time. I, a lot of people actually are away. If you've noticed, a lot of people are taking this to early August, which is a traditionally a time when people take their last vacation in the summer. And it falls at a time, actually, where, as you mentioned, we had the surge, uh, you know, in earlier this summer, in particular through July, in the southern states in particular, where there was this huge demand on testing, which again, overwhelmed the national capacity for testing. So really put testing back in the spotlight. And now as we pivot, and when people come back, from from their vacations and we get into the fall, people are really asking questions about how do we use testing to kind of restart life? Because that's typically what happens at the end of the summer anyways. We have even greater sensitivity to the issue because of the challenges we had in July with the testing and the long turnaround times and those things. So that's really where things are at. I think we're lucky here at Mayo Really, as I might have mentioned before, we're working with Dr. Henry Ting, who's our chief value officer here at Mayo Clinic, who's been doing the modeling for COVID and its impact on our facilities and our communities, and has helped us then, as we've worked with Delta, to use those same tools to understand what is the risk of their different areas of the country where they have employees, how worried does Delta need to be about COVID and therefore how much do they need to test? And so what we've evolved in working with them is having a model to say, if you're in a part of the country where there's a lot more of the virus going around, probably need more testing and looking at different employee groups, some that can't socially distance or protect themselves might need more testing. So having a much more informed use of the test based on the risk of the individuals of actually having COVID, really what we've worked on with Delta and honestly, if you look at what happened in July is what we're going to need going forward as well as we look at other parts of society and how we use tests to help understand where there's risk and keep people safe. 
Yeah, you know, I think that makes sense. We really need to look at this from a big picture and not just how many tests can you crank out on any one given day, because of course you could test in ways that aren't useful. You have to know what you're gonna do with those test results. And then also thinking about incorporating testing um, in your strategies for say, having kids go back to school but incorporating things such as what's the prevalence of disease in the community. There's a lot of big decisions being made right now. And I think it has to be beyond just how many tests can you perform, but also what is the risk and looking at particular risk groups and also just looking at the prevalence in the community. Yep. So I think what yeah. we're doing with Delta is really innovative and very uh, interesting. It's an interesting model that could be applied perhaps other places in the country. I hope so. And I think I think it's the best path forward because what we learned in July is we don't have a surplus of testing capacity in the country. So we have to continue to be really thoughtful about how we use it. Even with pooling, uh, as we, I think, have discussed before, pooling is great if the prevalence is low. It does increase your ability to do more tests per test kit or per set of reagents you would get from a company. But again, if the prevalence goes up uh, much above 10 or 15 percent, that so it's not, a, it's not a panacea. It's not going to solve the problem. The other thing that we have learned is, uh, and something we knew already, and that is the turnaround time of the test is really important because people need to make decisions on how to conduct their daily lives based on the test results. And so waiting six or seven days to find out if you're positive, so then therefore you can schedule a procedure or something like that is really not, it's just not terribly helpful. So, mm -hmm. but that's again, meaning that if we get too many tests, things will start to stack up. So I think that's the innovations that I think that, that you spoke to that will get us ahead of this are twofold. Number one, I think a much more data-driven approach to who gets tested. So make sure we're not doing a lot of testing, uh, which is tough because we know that asymptomatic individuals are prone to spread the virus. So um, you can't lower that bar too much. And also then getting, like you mentioned, the antigen tests, there's a lot of innovation happening on how can we do rapid point of contact because it's not even point of care, but like as a screening point of contact test that we give you a more rapid answer that's accurate enough. We can do a test now that's fast, but if it's not very accurate, it doesn't really help you in terms of making a decision. So that, those are the two innovations I would say we're working on. The thing we have to watch out for is that we still don't truly understand risk in everybody in society. So we know that those who are elderly and have underlying medical conditions are the ones that are greatest risk for fatality from the virus. But we're learning more about kids and there are, you know, although they less frequently get sick, it looks like they, when they do get sick, they can get as sick as adults. We still don't know a lot, a lot about the things that are happening with the so-called long haulers, the people that have recovered from COVID, but are mm -hmm. experiencing long-term symptoms after the illness. So there's a lot to learn. We'd like to be able to say, well, these groups, we don't have to worry about getting COVID as much, but that is really not, we just don't know enough to be able to say that right now. Yeah. Well, I know we're we're all trying to do our parts and it's definitely an exciting time to be in the laboratory <laughs> right now. And in my role as the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology, we're doing what we can to address the testing demands and the turnaround because as you mentioned that's so important and a 4 to 5 day turnaround time isn't going to help anyone. So at Mayo Clinic in microbiology in, in Minnesota, we've diversified, as you know, to bring in, it will be eight tests by the end of this month to try to meet our demands. And our goal is to hit a target of 30,000 tests a day. Wow. So 
it's going to be an incredible amount of tests. It's an incredible team we've pulled together to do this. And, you know, we've gone from labs that used to be staffed with just 20 people to now having over 100. And they're working not just two shifts, but now three. So, yeah, we all have to pull together, but it all comes down to how do we use those tests? Because yeah. 30,000 tests a day sounds like a lot, but not when you compare it to the population of the United States or even just the population of the state of Minnesota. That's right. And Wisconsin, where we're, we're helping with as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, look how many students, just the University of Wisconsin Health System alone, excuse me, academic system, uh, has tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, I think, of students. And same for the University of Minnesota. So you just look at collegiate campuses and as they try and understand this, as students come back from across the country and across the globe. And I think it really goes back to the best way to, to manage the demand for the tests and the treatments and everything else is for people to protect themselves. You know, the use yeah. of masks and social distancing. That's why we have to continue to use those tools. Those are the best. Prevention is the best approach to managing mm -hmm. COVID-19. And it goes back to those things that we've been kind of talking about for the last six months. I agree. I think it's become more second nature to me. And I think to wear a mask and put it on when I leave the house in the morning. And if we all continue to do that, I think we've just seen with the studies, like the hairdresser study that we talked about yep. in one of our previous podcasts, you wear a mask and you're going to protect others around you and prevent the spread. Yep. So I think that's a good, good reminder for us. I agree. Because then who knows there's what the fall will hold. And we all want, I mean, honestly, we all want things to come back. We want sports. We want our kids back in school. For a lot of reasons, we want our kids back in school, um, <laughs> right. but uh, you know, but we we need to do it safely. And the best way to do those those things actually is to 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 take these safety steps and to make them more second nature. I agree. For me too, it's now it's like I never thought I'd have the time where just like I'm looking for my ID badge before I go to work, I have to keep my mask in the same spot. So I always have it before I head out the door. But that's kind of yeah. that's just what we have to adapt to. I agree. Yeah, it's not something that we all necessarily would choose to do, but you just make it part of what you do and then we can protect everyone. And and then that allows things like getting our kids back to school because yep. the prevalence is low and we can do so safely. That's right. Because the best thing for us, honestly, would be we're, that we're in this October. It's like, wow, we really can. We have these 30,000 tests and it's more than enough. I mean, that honestly is where we all, would all want to be. So mm -hmm. hopefully we can get there. Well, a great message to end on. Thanks, Del, as always. I Good to talk to you again. Yes, yeah, it's it's great. Uh, my refreshed self. Hopefully, I can keep that, <laughs> that that spirit of vacation here alive through the rest of the month. So excellent. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast, and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.